Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. And with a little bit of sadness, it's time to say goodbye to the book of Sirach. We've had a series in this book and today we are looking at a variety of closing themes found in this book. But I just want to remind parents particularly and catechists and scout leaders and coaches that this book was one of the two books, along with the book of Proverbs, widely used in the early Catholic Church to teach the pagans who had become Catholic how to live faithful lives as Christian disciples. And I can't think of anything more appropriate for today because our young people are growing up in fact, they're immersed in a pagan environment, and we need to give them guidance as far as how to live practically in a world that's losing its way. So let's get going. Let's start with the theme of friends in the book of Sirach. First of all, kind of the not-so-great friends. Sirach 37 verse 1 says, Every friend will say... I too am a friend, but some friends are friends only in name. And then there's Sirach chapter 6, starting in verse 14. The value of a good friend, a faithful friend, is a sturdy shelter. He that has found one has found a treasure. There is nothing so precious as a faithful friend. Now, in our day, when people are talking about friends, what are you thinking about? Facebook friends. It's like, how many friends do you have? Well, (laughs) there are friends who are friends only in name. That's Xerox 37.1, and I'm sorry, but that's a lot of Facebook friends, too. There's an aspect to friendship, and Xerox is pointing us forward talking about this faithful friend, a shelter for us. Finding a good friend is like finding a treasure. There's nothing so precious as a faithful friend. I'd like to talk just for a moment about an overlooked aspect of the Eucharist, namely how friendship and the Eucharist go together. In John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, a faithful friend, that treasure, that's something that's so precious, well, this is the ultimate friendship. And in our day, when we go to thinking that the superficial friendships being promoted today and leaving a lot of people empty, this is where friendship really starts. This is the core. This is the pinnacle. This is the height of friendship. And Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, there's something that I missed 
for years as a Protestant pastor regarding John 15, which has really become one of my favorite chapters of the whole Bible, you have to put John 15, when it talks about friends, in context. The context of John 15 is the upper room. Jesus is in the midst of instituting the Blessed Eucharist for the very first time. And so his command is to love one another, and the Eucharist is what? Co-union, communion with God himself. That's the ultimate friendship. And part of what he commands us, an essential part of what he commands us, is those words, do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, as a Protestant pastor, I came to the point of wanting to be radical enough to obey Jesus's command. Because in the communion table in my Presbyterian church, it had carved in beautiful wood script the command, do this in remembrance of me. Now, just to get technical for a moment, in the Greek, that's a present active imperative. Imperative means it's a command. Present active means keep doing this, repeatedly doing this, continually do this. And we were doing it once a quarter or once a month. That's not exactly right. But the point being, have you really considered the Eucharist? And there should be that reverence, that awe, that transcendence, the amazement when you can think of the great gift of having communion with God. So in a certain sense, that's the distance between you and God. But also, have you thought of the closeness between you and God? Have you thought of the closeness in sense that of all places on earth, of all places to find the core of friendship from which all friendship, genuine friendship will evolve is in the Blessed Eucharist. And in that, renewing your friendship with Christ, knowing that God, he isn't your enemy, he's your friend, and he's gave his life for you. And as you can take that in, whatever God wants you to do in obedience should come in a spontaneous way based on friendship with Jesus. And so Sirach awakens us to that good friendship, and the New Covenant, particularly John 15, takes us to the mountaintop. There's another aspect of friendship that I'd like to talk about. And Sirach 12, starting in verse 13, says, and this is, it's a little bit of a biting exhortation here. Who will pity a snake charmer bitten by a serpent? or any who go near wild beasts. So no one will pity a man who associates with a sinner and becomes involved in his sins. The next chapter of Sirach, chapter 13, the first verse, whoever touches pitch will be defiled, and whoever associates with a proud man will become like him. What is this saying? Well, if you have become friends, particularly close friends, with those who are proud, who are living a sinful lifestyle, well, 
don't be amazed if you start acting like that. And I'm not saying you don't have friendships and develop friendships with those who aren't walking with Christ. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm talking about your crowd, so to speak. One of my sons told me how he navigated as a faithful Catholic through college, and he said, Dad, it was actually pretty easy. You choose your group, and you choose your group early on. Now, he attended Clemson University, which is known for a great football team, but even beyond that, Clemson has the a huge portion of a student body who are Christians, Catholic and Protestant. There are also plenty of pagans. And if you want to navigate your way through college life, my son told me, you just choose your group. And if you choose your group, your group will help guide you in the moral path. In fact, by choosing your group, consciously choosing your group, not sliding into one or the other, but consciously choosing it, you are actually putting yourself on the moral pathway in college, and in fact, maybe even beyond that. And it's interesting, those friendships developed in Catholic fellowship in college have maintained even after graduation. So I would suggest You would be very wise if you're a parent or if you're a college student listening that if you're going off to college, you choose your group before you set foot on campus. In other words, what am I going to do? You know, those first days and weeks in college are are going to, in many ways, not only affect your college career, but your path in life. And be wise before all the allurements of the different types of paths you can choose. Choose the right one. Choose your group. Choose a Catholic group and stick with it. And you'll find you'll support each other through those college years and set you on a path for life. It couldn't be, couldn't be wiser. And Sirach is saying, yeah, you're not going to pity a snake charmer if he gets bitten by a serpent. Why? Because he's messing around where he shouldn't be. Make a decision not to expose yourself unnecessarily to those types of, of situations. All right, here's one. Sirach 32 and verse 17. I, I, I share this verse with you with in all seriousness, a fairly heavy heart. It says, a sinful man will shun reproof and will find a decision according to his liking. Having been a pastor, and I know that the same thing that I encountered, priest encounter in the Catholic Church, and I know the same thing that I encountered as a Protestant pastor in pastoral counseling, Christian counselors encounter. And it's this. Uh, I tried to do a good job in pastoral counseling. In pastoral counseling, you don't tackle everything, but you do get a wide variety of situations that people come to looking for ways that God can impact our life and, and find healing. I try to listen carefully because it sounds simple, but Jesus said that whatever in the heart comes out of the mouth, and if you're very careful to listen, 
you can help a person determine, even though they're just speaking and maybe not even thinking as much about their words as you are, you can become a, a fairly good counselor. And no matter if it was just one session together or multiple sessions, I would find, and this is particularly with people with ongoing severe problems. In other words, it's really weighing heavy on their life, and this isn't something just like a once-and-done problem, but it's, it's, it's extended over time. I would find if I, through a process of listening and praying, that if I could put my finger for them on a route which is causing all these problems to surface and to keep surfacing, they would leave and never come back for counseling. In other words, they wanted healing, they wanted relief, they wanted comfort, but at, at the same time, they didn't get rid of the root of what was causing the problems, and a sinful man will shun reproof and will find a decision according to his liking, and they'll go to the next pastor or to the next counselor, and it's kind of really heartbreaking in a sense because it's like, wow, here, here's, here's the potential for finally getting over the hump on this thing that's been plaguing you perhaps for years, and they're out the door. And that is something not to go. We really need to train our ears if a family member, a friend, a counselor, a priest, a pastor— can point out something maybe we don't like to hear. And, you know, I'll admit right up front, I don't like to hear certain things that are very true about my faults. Nobody really does. But if we really want to make progress in life, we want to let those things reverberate in our ears and not run from them, but thank that person for it and implement it in our lives so that we can find healing. All right, here's another one, Deuteronomy, Sirach, chapter 32, verse 20 and following. Do not go on a path full of hazards, and do not stumble over stony ground. Do not be overconfident on a smooth way, and give good heed to your paths. Let me tell you about one of the most important days in my adult life. After my conversion to Christ in the Navy, I attended Assembly of God College. I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the Assemblies of God in these days, but back then, um, sometimes you could become a pastor by majoring in religion while you were in college. And so, a religion major, besides having the church history and scripture and theology and things like that, you would also study counseling and homiletics, which is preaching. And one day during our preaching class, our professor, Dr. George Wood, who's no uh, relation to me, uh, who is now actually head of the entire Assemblies of God in the United States, came in and played us a tape and the tape spoke of the lack of wisdom that's exceedingly widespread amongst Protestant pastors and putting themselves in 
situations that they think they're well-equipped to handle, and they end up falling morally. And then they, uh, this tape went on to describe the prudence that Billy Graham exercised when he was away from home and on the road and the accountability he wanted in his own life. And that was one of the most important hours in my adult life. And it's interesting, I heard a priest at a conference I was at, and when it was, the conference was ending, he said, uh, pray for me, because I'm on the road here. And a lot of fellow priests are on this speaking circuit and doing media things like I'm doing and, and conferences and such are falling like flies, and I ask your prayers for me. I was later at a conference with this same priest. His initials are L.R., Father L.R., but you can figure it out. Uh, he wasn't overconfident, and it's interesting. I went back and studied the moral failings. Actually, somebody actually has written a book about this, the moral failings of Protestant pastors, and invariably, 100% of those Protestant pastors who had moral failings described themselves as saying, it will never happen to me. And Sirach is saying, don't go on a path full of hazards. Don't be overconfident. You don't put yourselves in compromising situations if you don't want to be compromised. It's that simple. And if you think I'm picking on Protestants, I am not. There's a lot of Catholic priests that were on the media, that were on the speaking circuit, that are, what happened to Father so-and-so? Gone. Just like these Protestant pastors, overconfident. It says in Sirach 32 and verse 22, give good heed to your paths. Okay? Now, here's a golden verse from the book of Sirach. Sirach has a lot of golden verses, but this is a diamond and golden verse. Sirach 37 and verse 12, and it says this, And besides this, pray to the Most High that he may direct your way in truth. And what we want, I'd say almost invariably, is guidance. Even those who aren't practicing Christians desire divine guidance. The polls show this. But what do we want guidance for? We want guidance in truth. Pray to God to be guided in the truth. And there's a lot of voices today in our world. There's a lot of voices in our church. There's a lot of voices coming over the air. Okay, Pray to the Most High for guidance, that he might direct your way in the truth. And I can't begin to describe to you how true this is. I, I just have to give some personal testimonies in this end. I started my spiritual journey in what today would be termed a New Age group that had quasi-occult practices. Don't turn your radio off. There's a good ending to this. But in the process of this group, I was told by a guru, so to speak, that I believed in reincarnation, by the way, that uh, I had to free myself uh, 
in order to move to higher states of consciousness and enlightenment. And he said, since I was born into a Christian culture with Christian parents, I needed to study that religion in order to move to higher states of consciousness. And I was convinced that Christianity offered nothing, but I wanted to move on, so I agreed. And in this New Age bookshop, I bought a Bible. And believe it or not, I was checking out, and the woman at the cash register said, I want you to pray before you read this. And I said, sure, just like you might be listening to me, and I say, pray to be guided and directed in truth. And you say, sure. And she knew my sure wasn't very deep, and she grabbed the bag back, which contained my Bible that I was already paid for. And she says, no, I want you to promise me that you will pray before you read that Bible. And I did that. I remember opening that Bible and then thinking of that woman and the promise that I made. So I made a sincere prayer that if there's anything in here, it wasn't, I don't even know exactly what I prayed, but I prayed that and lo and behold, um, I freed my karma <laughs> and then some. Uh, God spoke to me in ways I never thought possible through the scriptures. I can remember uh, during my pastorate, um, I was holding this book. I kept it, The Handbook of Denominations in the United States. And I can remember as a pastor, knowing that something was really wrong, there's supposed to be one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and even just the Presbyterians, we called ourselves the split peas, but there's this, this book is 320 pages of denominations in the United States, and the book says one of the large and growing problems is the effort to try to make sense of the bewilderment of Christian groups in the United States. And I was on my knees praying. I said, God, what did I miss? There's, I don't know, three or four pages given to the Catholic Church, but of course, I knew that wasn't a genuine church, so I didn't even think of that. And meanwhile, I'm looking through this book and praying on my knees, asking God, what did I miss? Where is it? And well, I ended up in jail, actually. Uh, I had participated in a pro-life uh, rescue where you, in a very nonviolent way and prayerfully, just sit in front of the door of an abortion clinic with a bunch of other Christians. No abortions go on that day. And I was one of the leaders of that group. So as a result, the judge threw us in jail and put us on the county uh, road gang. And we would come in from the road gang and uh, we would be strip searched. And the deputy doing it was a good friend of a pastor friend of mine. And so I'd be coming in stark naked, muddy from working in the ditches. And he would say, good evening, Reverend Wood. And I'd say, good evening, deputy. And, you know, he'd search through my stuff and all that. And he, this one night we came back, okay, and I had a prayer while we were in jail said, Lord, show me the church. Lord, show me the church. And one time coming in and being strip searched, the deputy, instead of his usual greeting, said, hurry up and get showered. The bishop's here to see you. I said, what bishop? The Catholic bishop's here to see you guys. 
and got an invitation from the bishop to attend a Catholic mass, of which I agreed and went there. That was the beginning. Then I had some exceedingly strong reservations about the Catholic Church's teaching about justification. I thought it denied grace. Before this time, I was shaken by a book written by one of my seminary professors, Dr. J.I. Packer, a man who I greatly respected. And in that book, he said, see what a man makes of having God his father, and that's how well that man understands the New Testament. I read that, and you know what? It got me back on my knees again in a very serious sense, very similar to the Handbook of Denominations experience. And I said, this was talking about the doctrine of adoption, where we become the sons and daughters of God. God literally becomes our father in the most real and overwhelming way imaginable. And I prayed that because to me, everything I thought about God's father, yeah, I could rattle off a lot of stuff, but it was more abstract than real. And over time, it began to be revealed to me, and you realize two books came out of that prayer. One of the books I finished recently called Grace and Justification, and if you want to know the key to understanding Catholic justification, you start with having God as your father and the doctrine of adoption. And if you understand that, you can make sense of everything the New Testament says about grace and justification as well as the Catholic Church. I have a new book coming out in hopefully early 2022, and it will be, again, how the doctrine of adoption can help your children and your grandchildren from washing out in the modern world. There's are two books out of a prayer. So when Sirach says, pray to the Most High, that he may direct your way in truth, all I can say is uh, hang on for the ride because this is a prayer that God absolutely and utterly delights in answering. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 360 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.